And an interesting passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with Jesus and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all, notice that word, all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town, everybody in the town, gathered at the door. And Jesus healed, what's the next word? All of them were there. Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out, what's the next word? Many, not all, demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. That's the backdrop of this next verse, starting in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Okay, I added that. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also that is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And will you bow with me in prayer? God, thanks for your word. As we come into this place today and we've gathered together, taking time out of work, of life, of so many different things that are happening today, I pray first that you'll You'll bless these folks for having taken the time to come here. They could have been anywhere else this morning, but they chose to be here together to worship with us. And so, God, we thank you for that, and we appreciate them taking that time. Father, I pray that, as always, as we look into your word, that, that you will allow us to see something practical that will help us to live life tomorrow. And work is certainly something that touches all of us in so many different ways. So, as always, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We pray, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And we thank you for it all in Christ's name. If you're living for the weekend, you're probably doing it wrong. Because that means you just can't wait to get out of there. No wonder one of the five biggest regrets people have is they wish they wouldn't have worked so hard. But I still don't think it's working hard. I think there's more to it. I think about my life this past uh, Thursday. I think it was, Thursday was May 18th. I had been ordained like 30, 31 years. 31 years when I think about that. And the cool thing was, as some of you that are on my Facebook saw it, I got to go over to St. Ruth Missionary Baptist Church, where my friend JC is the pastor, and they were celebrating his one-year anniversary as the pastor of the church. So it was cool to be there and to kind of watch him getting started, and now I'm the old guy. And I, we were talking about uh, how blessed that we are to be able to get up and do what we love. That doesn't mean this isn't hard. He looked over at me, he says, you know how many pastors are quitting every, every single month? I go, there's a ton of them. Because I, either they're not called to it or they think, oh, I get to get up and just you know, speak every week and, as if that's going to be an easy thing. Because it, I've often said, to get up here and make it look easy, it's hard. You have to actually be organized and know what you're going to say. You don't, contrary to popular belief, just get up and talk. And the, and the less time that you speak, the more time it takes to actually prepare. 
doesn't mean it's not hard, but you know what's cool? Is that if we could actually have meaning in our work, and I look at the times that I have been involved in ministry and realize, did I make a bunch of money? Nope, not a televangelist, sorry. But I've been able to make a difference in a few lives. And sometimes it's really hard. Monday night, I have to do the funeral for the woman that was killed on the Sawgrass Expressway this, uh, just a few days ago. What was interesting was my daughter came home and she said, she says, Dad, my, her roommate, her roommate uh, at, at FAU was coming up, the, was coming down the Sawgrass Expressway, got tied up at a dead stop because a car had gotten an accident front and it, and it slowed everything down. Two days later, I get the call to do the funeral and her friend was there. The woman, you can pray for them. She was four months pregnant. Her husband, three years they've been married. You never know. And yet, I have an opportunity to be there. So I'm, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm not, I'm not going to say, man, I wish I wouldn't have done necessarily that. But having regrets and saying that it's hard are two different, very, very different things. So I thought about this, and I thought, not to depress you any further, that was depressing, I know. But when you think about it, I thought, what is it that, that people really don't like about work? What is it that they're really regretting? Well, I think there's, there's three things, and we'll talk about them real quick, and then, and then we'll set this up and go look at the passage of Scripture and look at what we're going to look at this morning. I think the first thing that happens for a lot of people, why they regret it, is work becomes monotonous. They're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And so they look at it, it's like, okay, I got to go here. I got to go sit at the desk. I got to log into the computer. I got to go count this. I got to go do that. And it's you do the same thing over and over and over. And if we're not careful, there, and there's a certain amount of monotony that goes into everything that we do. There's a, certain, there's a certain amount of stuff that we have to do that we don't necessarily like to do that's part of the bigger job. We all have that. You know, I won't tell you what it is that I don't like to do, but there's certain things that we just have to do that it's like, ah, but I, I have to do this to get to do the part that's fulfilling. So we all have a certain amount of monotony, you know. It's like if you deal with customers, you may love what you do, but man, there's one or two customers that are a pain in your backside. You see them coming, you know they're coming, and it's like I can't do anything about it. Those of you that have to work with the public, you have it all the time. You got customers, you got clients, you got students, you got people, you got a boss. In our case, we've got parents at the preschool. It, it happens. And there's a certain amount of monotony that you have to do day in and day out. But we can let the work become monotonous. And then we sit there and we regret and go, what have I been doing? Because we let the monotony get to us. So it can become monotonous. I think the second thing that will happen is that it can, people regret it because work actually became what I'll call monopolizing. See, the regret is, I wish I wouldn't have worked so hard because I didn't spend enough time with my wife, with my kids, with this, with that. And so what happens is we let that work monopolize everything that we do and really monopolize our lives. We, we are more in danger of doing this today than ever before because so many people work out of the house. My wife works out of the house when she's not traveling. But because of her job, 
She's now got an international job, so when she's talking to somebody on one time zone, she'll start on calls at 7 o'clock in the morning and may not finish, maybe back on calls at 9 o'clock at night because she's talking to somebody else because it's 8.30 in the morning for them. So it can actually, if she's not careful, begin monopolizing because you, you go like this. You walk out of your bedroom and you walk into your office. And it's happening more and more where people are working out of their house. And, this, and because of these wonderful devices that we have, iPhones and iPads and Androids and all of that, we, pe people email us constantly. Listen, I don't know how many of you travel, but it's very uncomfortable when you go into the restroom because everybody's not, you know, used to be you went to the restroom and you didn't talk to anybody. Now you can walk by a stall. Yeah, you, you can hear people cutting million dollar business deals. I'm like, really? Can you, you know... But it happens, and you know it, and you've seen it. And it's like people can't stay off of the phone. Or, or you, you gotta love, you got to love the, the one where they're sitting there and they're, they're, they're talking on the phone. They're Publix, and they keep talking while they're checking out. And you're behind them going, get off the phone. Right? Just get Because you can't do two things at once. Get off the phone. It's not that, you know, you, maybe you don't do that, but I do. Because I'm like, you know. Or if, if I am talking, I'll tell the person, hang on a second and do what I have to do. Maybe it's because I'm a male and I can't multitask. But it can become monopolizing everything that we're doing because, because we're never out of contact with people. And so if we're not careful, it can monopolize everything that we're doing. And so I think people will regret not so much the hard work, but they regret working so hard they allowed it to monopolize their life so that they didn't spend time with the people they love. But there's a third one, and it's the biggie. For many people, their work has become meaningless. The monotony leads to it becoming meaningless. And maybe in their own mind, they've minimized it, say, well, I'm only a blank. You can fill in the blank. Man, I don't get, a, I don't get to make a difference in people's lives. I don't get to be a doctor or this or that. I'm not saving people. I'm only doing da-da-da-da-da. And they start to minimize it, and they suck the meaning right out of it. Because actually, all work can be meaningful. So it's the worst regret of all to get to the end of your life and to say, I regret working so hard at something that I didn't like to do. I regret working so hard and ignoring my family. I, I regret working so hard and thinking that there was no meaning to what I did. It's interesting because early on in our work lives, people are working for money and all this kind of stuff and to get to their position. But when you start to get to my age, finally, people start to think about, wait a minute, am I making a difference? You move from, from all the cash and all the money and all that stuff to start thinking about, what's my legacy going to be? So we have to think about that now at all ages. And you say, we just read Mark 1. What does it have to do with it? Absolutely everything, and we're going to see what Jesus does about this. So let me give you a little bit of background. There's an interesting story has taken place. Jesus has been casting out demons, and Mark is recording a lot of how, how all of this has happened. And so they had been, it is a Sabbath day, and they are actually, uh, they've just left, uh, they've been in the synagogue. And so notice in verse 29, they leave the synagogue, and this is the, the context to set up what's happening in the next verses. But so you see what happens. They leave the synagogue, verse 29. They go with, notice this, they go with James and John, okay, 
with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So Simon and Andrew, remember families live together, a lot of them, in one place because here's Simon and Andrew, it's their home, they're brothers, and Simon's mother-in-law is there, which means Simon is either married or his wife has passed away, but it's his mother-in-law. So they're all living together under one roof. So they go back there probably just to maybe eat or to do something. Maybe it was like, a, you know, after dinner, we're going to go to the, you know, after, after synagogue, we spent time in the synagogue, we're going to go hang out at the house. So he's with Peter, James, and John. Remember, they were his closest confidants. So he goes there. Notice what happens. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately, as soon as they walked in, maybe they were worried Jesus was going to be upset because there was no food. Who knows? He said, Jesus, uh, she's sick. Immediately when he walks in, Jesus, because he'd been healing other people, he's like, uh, Jesus, can you, can you come here, look at, look at what's happened. And notice it says, he went to her, he took her hand, he helped her up, the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. She started right away. She's fine. Jesus touches her, bam. You think, you think these televangelists got it? No, Jesus had it, man. Uh, yeah. You know, he could just reach down, bam. She's feeling better. Up she goes. They start to, she starts to wait on all of them. <laughs> and then that evening, after sunset, because... See, when you start healing people and it's legit, word gets out. Now, if you look at it, it says that evening after sunset, the people brought, remember the word we looked at? All. Everybody in town that was sick to Jesus and all the demon possessed, okay? The whole what? Town gathered at the door. Now, it's after sunset. Why? Sabbath is over. It was unlawful to heal on the Sabbath. Remember how many times Jesus will go through this with the Pharisees? So all of the people are waiting until the Sabbath is done. So they go, they go to the evening, so this is all over, and so they, they, they come there, and they bring, they bring them all to Jesus. And Jesus, it says, now here it is, verse 34. You've got to underline this in your Bibles. Take note of it on your devices. Make a note of it on a piece of paper. Because what it says, there's a, there's a big emphasis here in the Scriptures on the fact that all the town, all the sick... All the demon-possessed, everybody that had a problem, was brought to Jesus, and they were all at this house. A crowd of people. The entire, imagine the entire city of Dania Beach, when we get out here, 30,000 people sitting out here in our parking lot. Okay? Now, the town wasn't that big, but just scale it. So they're, they're pressing in. And notice what it says. Jesus, the whole town gathered... Now it says, and then Jesus did what? He healed many. Not all. It's not an accident. It's not a misprint. He did not heal everybody that came to him. Wow. He did not meet every physical need that the people had that came to him. And it says, he also drove out all the demons. No, many demons. Which is even more puzzling. Why would you not drive out the demons, Jesus? I mean, all these people need you right now. And you're supposed to, they're feeling bad. They're hurt. They need you right now. They need you to heal their physical maladies. They need this issue taken care of. But Jesus, it only healed many of them. And he only cast out many demons. Yet the whole town's there. And it says he also drove out many demons. But he wouldn't let any of the demons speak. Because they knew who he was. Okay. And then... 
This probably happened way into the night. It was a late night for Jesus. And then it says in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, stopped by Starbucks. No, he didn't. Left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now let's just put the brakes on. Long night. People are probably still hanging out. They were still looking for him, which we'll see in just a minute. Somehow he gets, I don't know whether he went out the back door, the side door, whether he climbed over the fence. But he got up so early, maybe everybody else was asleep. And after this very difficult night, he goes to be by himself to pray. In the midst of a busy schedule, in the midst of the emotional fatigue, the mental fatigue, and if you've never had to be with people who are grieving, who are hurting on a regular basis, who have medical issues, and you're taking care of them, it is emotionally and physically fatiguing. Yet, therapists can only, can only actually uh, counsel so many hours a week. It's not 40 hours a week. They can't do it. Because it is emotionally fatiguing. So here he is fatigued and the first thing that he does is he goes out early the next morning to spend time with his Heavenly Father. Which is really interesting because if anybody didn't have to do it and was spiritual enough already, it would be Jesus. Right? But yet if you go back and you look at everything that Jesus does at all the major times in his life, he's pulling away. When this major ministry is going on and everybody's demanding time of him, he pulls away. In his most difficult hours, he, tell, he goes, tells the disciples, hey, come, we're going to go through the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to go pray. Right before he's getting ready to go to Calvary. We're going to go pray. And they couldn't even stay awake to pray with him. He goes back and he goes, guys, you couldn't even stay awake for me, with me for one hour to pray? During his most difficult moments, and it seemed like the more difficult, the more emotionally draining, the more that he was around people, the more time that he spent alone with God. And so he sneaks out, he gets out sometime uh, early morning, the disciples probably wake up a little bleary-eyed because they were up with him, and he's praying, and it says, Simon and his companions, they went to look for him because they're panicked. You know why? Because they can't heal anybody. They're not healing anybody, not right now. So they're like, now why are they panicked? Because everybody's, the many, the, the some that weren't healed, they're all like, hey, where's Jesus? Uh, they're banging on the door. Jesus, we need you. We need, we need you to heal us. We got, this one's got a cold. This one's got a fever. This one's got a problems over here. This one's even, where's Jesus? Come on, let's go. We got to have Jesus. Where's Jesus? And the disciples are literally getting panicked. And so they go looking for him. And notice what happens. They find him. <laughs> and when they found him, now I love the way Mark puts this in the, in the NIV. They exclaimed. This exclaimed means they were panicked. It reminds me of the time, remember when they were on the boat, it was Jesus taught the disciples a couple, a couple of different lessons on water. Remember the one, the first time they were on the boat, storm comes through, where's Jesus? He's asleep. 
He's out cold. They're rowing again. Wind's coming. Rain's pelting. The boat's going back and forth. Jesus is up there. He's out cold. And so the disciples go back, and I don't think they went like this. I don't think they went, Hey, Jesus. Jesus, wake up. We need you. Jesus. I don't think that was that. I think they were like, Jesus, help! We're going to die! And Jesus, Because Jesus jumps up, and he calms the wind and the waves, and he says... I, basically, I got this. That's my translation. I got this. And, they, and they, they were astonished at the guy who could speak to the wind and the waves. Jesus was always slowing down when everybody else was speeding up, when everybody else was panicked or pressing. So when you think this, when you look at this, while the people were pressing, the disciples were stressing. Have you ever thought about that? And how many times do we do that? And you realize that the more that people press, and it happens in ministry all the time, the more people press, the more you can stress. The more that people have demands on you and say, where are you at? You're the only one that can do this. We got to have you. This is it. You're the only one that can do it. Jesus, we got to have Jesus. And they're getting more and more stressed because they have to have him. And the disciples are like, that's right. Jesus is the only one that can do this. We got to go find him. Jesus, what are you doing? And he was like, uh, well, notice what he says. He said, everyone is looking for you. Where are Get back home. The people want you. There's work that's left to be done. People still need to be healed. Demons still need to be cast out. People want to talk to you. They got to have you. And Jesus said, okay, let's go. No. He says, let's go somewhere else. What? Wait, wait. Hold on. Time out. You're leaving stuff undone. But the people are pressing. The people want you, Jesus. These people need you. And Jesus said, let's go somewhere else. Listen to what he says. To the nearby villages so I can heal there also so I can feed the hungry there also no so I can do what so I can preach there also and then here it is the phrase that says it all that is why I have come what that is why I have come. So what did he do? He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I don't know if that struck you like it struck me. But Jesus, in the midst of... He, he actually left things undone. In our, in our society, leaving things undone not tying up loose ends. We don't do that. If you, need a, if you see a need, then you have to go fill that need right then. And especially if somebody comes to you, then you have to fill that need right And they're expecting you to fill that need right at that moment. The people will always be pressing, which means if you're not careful, you will, like the disciples, always be stressing. Jesus was not the only one that was looked for. 
You know there's needs that only you can fill. People have told you that. You're the only one that can do this. We have to have you. And you go, well, yes. You're right. I am the only one that can do that. And the pressure comes on. So what happens is, when the people start pressing, and you don't really know what the priorities are, guess what happens? Their needs start to monopolize your work. Their needs start to take over what you really called to do in the first place. How many times has that happened to you at work? You wind up doing somebody else's job and you take responsibility for them and they have nothing to do with anything that you're doing. But meanwhile now, you're doing two people's jobs because you're just a good person and there's a need. And meanwhile, nothing gets done well. Because when you take responsibility from someone, you're going to take responsibility for that someone. Jesus walked away to go do what he was called to do. Now, if you want to see an interesting passage, and we don't have time to look at it right now. We've read it before. It's in Luke 4. You can go back and look at it later. When Jesus is in the synagogue, remember, he goes to the synagogue, he reads Isaiah, and he reads about how the, you know, I've come to, to do this. And he says, and the final thing is where Isaiah talked about the Messiah, and I've come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which I've come to preach, that the Messiah is here, and it's me. And he says, this, today this is fulfilled in your eyes. Jesus came to share the good news of eternal life, and that sometimes physical life and physical deformity and physical things were going to happen. But Jesus was illustrating, I've got something far more important. You can worry about what's going on in this kingdom, but I got a more important kingdom to worry about, and you need to worry about what's going to happen in the hereafter, and not just what's going on in your immediate needs. Everybody wants their immediate needs filled right now, and they were coming to Jesus for that, but they were coming to him for no more. Because we all got needs right now. But the lesson, and here it is. If you want to know how to make your work meaningful and not monotonous. You want, to, you want to infuse it with meaning. You want to make sure that, that, that you're doing what's important so it doesn't monopolize and you're doing the things that really matter. Here it is. Give it to you real fast. Are you ready? Apply your why. Apply your W-H-Y. See what Jesus said? What did he say? They're pressing in. They're coming around him. They're saying, but Jesus, there's people that want you. They need you. They need you to come. You left some things undone. And Jesus said, look, we're going to move on because this is why I came. That's not why I came. I didn't come to heal every disease. I didn't come to set everybody. I came to preach the fact that I am the Messiah, that I will give people eternal life, that I'm going to reconcile people to God, and that this spiritual is even more important than the physical. I'm going to do some of this other stuff but I am not going to let it get me off focus. My why is I have come to preach and I've got more to do. And Jesus was always focused on his why. He was always concerned about applying his why. He says to them, guys, you all are stressed. You're freaked out. You People are telling you, no, we need you to do this and this and this. And they have all of these expectations of you. But guess what? That's not why I came. I didn't come for what they think I came for. I came for something else and that's what I'm going to go and do. 
So here's my question. What is your why? Why do you work? And if you, if you go, well, you've got to pay the bills, you're in trouble. You're back up at one of those M's. That's kind of maybe the meaningless or the monotonous. Well, I've got to pay the bills. That's a really, I mean, paying the bills is important, but it's got to be bigger than that. Think about if we could infuse our work with this why and we start to understand about, about it a little bit. Think about what happens. You actually have more solitude. You actually have more free. When you're able to focus on what you do best, what you're called to do, where your strengths are at. And by the way, when you're young, you think you can do everything. The older you get, you know, there's only a few things that I'm really good at. And I'm learning what those few things are and have to give those other stuff to everybody else because there's only a few things that I can do really well. The rest of the stuff, uh-uh. But imagine to actually get more time. Actually, think about having that more meaning and never and work not being a monotony again, no matter how much longer you have to work. My, my mother just told me this week, you know, my mother, you know my mother, she's 85. She just decided that she's going down to work four days a week now. She made sure she told me that. She goes, I'm off on Fridays now. Friday was my last Friday. I said, you're still working four days a week? Yep, I'm still full time. I said, why, why are you still working full time? Because of my vacation time. I said, you understand that makes absolutely no sense. Because if you're retired and you're able to retire, you could travel whenever you want to. They're, yeah, but they give me five weeks. I said, you'll have 52. <laughs> But I'm convinced it's not just the work that keeps her going. It's the meaning that she's finding in it. And in case you don't know this, most of you know, she's a secretary at a funeral home. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to work till they're 85 and 90. And I hope, you know, I've told my kids, you know, you supposedly get your longevity from your mother. So guess what? Going to be around a while, you know? <laughs> but she finds meaning in that. Working at, at a funeral home. It could get monotonous. But it has to do with what's up here. It has to do with applying your why. Why do you do what you do. See, everybody talks about, well, i got to figure out how to do this. Do you know, I heard somebody say years ago, and this is so true, that if your reasons are big enough, you can figure out how if you have a big enough why. If somebody told you, uh, you got to get a million dollars by a week from today, most of you would be going, good luck, yeah, I'd love to have a million dollars. But if somebody had your kid and said, I'm going to put a bullet to their head, Unless you get a million dollars by next Sunday, you're probably going to have a million dollars by next Sunday. Because that's a big why. What is your why? And see, we all have a why. It doesn't matter how young we are or how old we are. What is your why? Reconnect with your why. You say, well, man, what, what do I do? Because I've got a job. You may think your job's meaningless. Here's the thing. Either, you either have to do work that you love or love the work that you do. You, that's the only two choices. 
If you're, doing, if you're in something that you hate, you think it's not fulfilling my purpose, then find something else to try to do. If not, find purpose in what you're doing. Because most of the time, we don't see what's going on around us, and we're touching lives, and we're reaching out to people, and we're, a smile that we give to somebody, a nice, kind word, is actually making a difference in, in somebody's life. How many times do you interject with customer, interact with, rather, with customer service people on the phone, and you're thinking, man, that person was miserable. What happens when you get a good one? It actually makes your day. Hey, Mr. So-and-so, so good to talk to you. I'm like, that's not normal. Good. I'm, you know, you never know what that's going to do for somebody. What is your why? Imagine if you, if you connect with it, you, you get to think about that you're, you're actually in service and you're actually making a difference and you're actually touching lives and you're actually interacting with people and you're actually focused on what you do best. But if not, think about the, the, the other choice is not good. Then if you don't apply your why, figure it out and figure out what to do next, then you're going to have the anguish and the apathy and think about the final A word, which is where most people are at with work. Anxiety. I just have to get through this week and get to the weekend. What you should do is just do what I do because there are no weekends. Then you don't have a choice. There's, you can't just look for the week. I'm not scolding anybody. What I'm saying is you're not, you're, you probably haven't found your why because it's just, it's, it's there. God has created you to live for more than that. And if it really is the job and it really is the boss and you're really not fulfilling your purpose, then pray for God to open doors and look for something else that you can do. By the way, God's not going to say to you, if you need income, you know, don't go out here and say, oh, well, Bob told me I don't like my job to quit. Yes, yeah, so you quit and you go, okay, God, give me no. No, don't do that. Because you have a purpose to feed your family. You have a purpose to work. I get all of that. But pray for the opportunity for change to occur. And if, if he's not going to change where you're at, ask him to change how you're looking at it. Because, see, we allow ourselves to get... And we do it in relationships. We do it in everything that we do. We allow the monotony to come in. We allow the meaningless to creep in. We allow, we allow it to begin to monopolize. And we work harder and harder doing things that we don't like to do instead of focusing on our strengths. And just think about if you're able to really focus on your strengths, what it's going to do for your, for your boss and for your work. It's amazing. All because we have the example of none other than Jesus. I bet... Some of you today thought he healed everybody that he came in contact with. I bet you thought that he fed everybody that was hungry, that he did it all. You know what? We have, he could have. But we have a great example that we can't make a difference to everybody. If I thought for a moment, how do we feed everybody around here? How do we, but how do we take care of the people that are in front of us? How do we reach out in this community? How do we make a difference just even in Dania Beach? How do, we, how do we impact the people that are here? How do we impact our families that are in the preschool? How do we do all of that? I, listen, I'm one person. But how do we do it? Why do we do it? What are we here for? Why does he have you where he has you? I guarantee you it is for a much bigger purpose than you think right now. It's more than just a job. He's got you there to make a difference. So if he's not going to move you, let him move inside of you.
to see what's next. Because the last thing, and we for so for so many years I think about in the Baptist church, we always talk, we used to talk about getting saved and getting your fire in church. You know, it's like, okay, well, you got to get set for eternity. Well, that's good. I know Christ. That means when I step from here into the next life, I'm going to spend heaven with Him. But, so heaven with Him. So what does that mean? I just am miserable here the rest of my life? No. He saved you and me for a purpose. He's got a calling for you and I. And He's got you where you are right now for a reason. Find out what that is and live it out. Let's pray.